Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas, and welcome back to The Ground Up. Uh, today, I'm joined with Don Winner. Don is the founder and CEO of DLP Real Estate Capital, uh, based in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and St. Augustine, Florida. So, Don, it's good to see you today. Thanks, Brad. Really, really, really excited to be here with you. Great. Well, Don, uh, I know you and I have spoken uh, in the past, but I just, if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about DLP, uh, obviously you're in the real estate business, uh, but a little background on DLP and uh, how the company started. Yeah, lo love to, Brad. Uh, so yeah, we're a, a real estate uh, private equity and financial services uh, company, as, as you said, Brad, here in St. Augustine, Florida, where I'm talking to you from today, as well as uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And we have a family of, of businesses that focus around um, our, our, our goals of making an impact in, in a number of areas and uh, doing that largely through uh, workforce housing, which, which I, I can certainly get into. But we didn't start kind of as we are today, a you know, 400 person company in you know, 23 states. We started from very uh, uh, humble beginnings. Um, I grew up in, in humble beginnings as uh, to two young uh, 16 year olds uh, who had me uh, when they were, of course, in, in high school and uh, grew up in uh, what people call nicely lower middle class and a, and a very much working uh, family. Uh, to a prison guard and, and a mom who ran a, a home daycare. And um, uh, that was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania area where, where we uh, founded the company and uh, decided in uh, about eighth grade uh, after having some entrepreneurial experiences selling things like donuts and candy to my classmates and running a landscaping business. And, and uh, on a career day in eighth grade, a gentleman came in showed us a chart that financial advisors made more money than doctors, lawyers, accountants, all the jobs your parents tell you to become. And I was set from that point forward, I was going to be a financial advisor. Uh, had that goal through high school uh, into college when I went to Drexel University studying finance, um, worked at some cool companies like BlackRock and McGladry in Poland and, um, and, and got some different experiences, got all my licenses to get into the world of financial planning, financial advisory. And uh, kind of then stumbled into real estate by uh, having a gentleman who uh, came into the restaurant. I would wait tables on on the weekends, convinced me to come work for him. Uh, that first job was selling alarm systems. Um, he owned a ADT security dealership. So my job was literally, you know, knocking on doors, people's uh, doors in their homes, everybody's favorite thing. Uh, a salesman comes knocking on their door and knocked on enough doors that I sold a lot of alarm systems. Uh, in fact, when I took the job uh, for Nathan, the gentleman who owned the company. He, he told me I'd make $2,000 a week if I came to work for him selling alarm systems. And my first paycheck was $5,280. That was one of my worst paychecks. And at 19 years old, that was, that was pretty good. Um, and uh, uh, took, off, uh, took off really fast. And fortunate for me, Nathan not only owned this security company, but he happened to also be a real estate agent. And one day he told me, Don, if you can sell alarm systems knocking on doors, you can sell real estate. I was still set. I was going to be a financial planner. But again, I said, all right, I'll give it a try and got my real estate license, uh, flew out to a marketing conference uh, and heard, uh, learned about direct response marketing and developed a marketing message of your home sold guaranteed or I'll buy it. Um, fortunately for me, it didn't sound, doesn't sound like fortunate, but uh, fortunate for me, October 2006, when I entered the world of real estate, happened to be the peak of the real estate market. Um, so having a marketing message that you guarantee to sell people's homes when the market's slowing down um, was a good marketing message at the right time. Uh, led to our real estate sales team brokerage kick, uh, growing really fast and led to me stepping in and just buying people's homes and flipping them. And that bore the, bore the beginning of our 
uh, kind of track record and path we've gone down of growing a real estate investment company. Uh, did that through the beginning days, flipped homes and helped people sell their homes, built a construction company to service our home flipping business. At the bottom of the market, 2011-ish, we started property management, started building a portfolio. We realized, hey, it was the bottom of the market. Let's buy as much as we can, but all different asset classes, mainly housing, uh, ground up development and uh, existing assets. Um, and then around that same time, we started launching private investment funds, um, taking in investor capital, allowing us to grow further. Um, and uh, by 2014, we were a hundred person company. We owned six, 700 properties. We were growing fast and we decided uh, that we knew we wanted to stay focused on workforce housing, but we needed a faster and more scalable path. So that's when we started lending money to other real estate investors uh, and started focusing on buying larger assets, mainly multifamily communities. Um, also started investing equity in partnerships with other great operators and developers. Uh, and that's really led us the path we're on today is now a you know, 400 plus person company doing a few hundred million a year in revenue. We own communities in 20 some states. We both develop uh, uh, manage existing product and lend money, invest equity and partnerships with other, other operators around, around the country. So that's a semi-quick kind of story to how we got to where we are today. Great. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot there, Don. And, uh, in fact, uh, that's a, that's an amazing success story. Um, you know, I made it through the recession, but probably not as, uh, as, as good as you did, you did. And, uh, but we've all learned from, from those lessons. Um, can you talk a little bit about, Don, about, you know, so you, you know, started in 2006, went through the Great Recession. Of course, now we've, we can, we're coming out of this, this pandemic, uh, this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic for both of us here. Uh, any lessons that you've learned, especially as you reflect on the, the Great Recession, uh, and really, it sounds like you really grew your company uh, rapidly during that uh, last recession. Yeah, uh, I'd say you know a, a lot of a lot of a lot of great lessons that that come out of uh, coming through recession environments, as well as a lot of great lessons that come, you know, come from uh, growth. Um, and uh, so uh, you know, we 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 had a lot of uh, early success, and and that success, you know, we were fortunate at the time that we weren't carrying you know a legacy portfolio. We weren't dealing with you know, a lot of assets in a portfolio that we bought at the peak of the market and the challenges some, some dealt with as we built our portfolio through, you know, the downturn and built our company through the downturn. But we also had the advantage of kind of not knowing better in the beginning and uh, not uh, making excuses and not stuck in, in habits and, and approaches that, that no longer worked. Um, we got to figure it out in a, in a very, uh, you know, very uh, tough environment and in a very entrepreneurial Away and and that that led to a lot of great uh, values and characteristics to how we went about building the organization and um, and we took a lot of lessons in our in our beginning days from you know the greats such as you know Jim Collins and um, and uh, so in the beginning you know learning the concepts of you know great by choice and the flywheel and um, were really helpful in us understanding how we wanted to grow and then as we started having by most people's standards you know really great success. Um, in, a, in a number of different areas, um, understanding the, the concepts of how the mighty fall, and which is maybe my favorite uh, Jim Collins book, and understanding that hubris is what sets a lot of companies down a path of, of ultimate failure, and understanding the fact that more companies go bankrupt due to indigestion than starvation, meaning too much growth, not a lack of growth. And being in the real estate industry, most real estate operators think their, their problem is, and developers think their problem is they can't find enough deals, so they can't raise enough money. These external issues, 
when very seldom are external issues what's constricting great companies from growing. It's it's internal um, internal operational challenges and so forth. So uh, we learned early on that those challenges of growth, of communication, of prioritization, of of hiring enough great people, developing leadership, we realized early on were our real challenges. And I believe today uh, strongly that every issue you have in any organization starts and stops with leadership. Um, and every issue we have today going through our growing pains comes down to uh, a lack of leadership in a different area of the organization. So uh, we learned early on and early enough on, meaning, you know, I hired my first uh, full-time employee a month in the business. I had five employees, two, three months in the business and, um, and quickly was willing to hire, but looking back, should have hired even faster and should have more quickly looked uh, to delegate and bring in leadership that I could develop and uh, accepted early on that the, you know, I didn't want to be a time teller as Jim Collins calls, you know, great CEOs, those who the only only person who can tell the time is, is the, the leader of the organization. Every issue, every problem has to come back to this one person because they're the only one who has the answers. And a lot of us as, you know, strong A personalities, we like being the person with the answer. We like be the person who can solve the problems. But the reality is, uh, I learned a number of years ago, we needed to be, I needed to be a clock builder and build other people capable of telling time. And that was the only way we could continue to expand into new businesses and, and avoid, you know, the risk of too much uh, being uh, reliant on, on too few. Um, and as people think about being a real estate developer, a real estate operator, or just an entrepreneur, most people, again, think of risk as external. They think of COVID environments. They think of, you know, uh, 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 recessions. They think of, you know, competition. They think of these external issues that we can't control as being what what is, you know, the real risks we face when the reality is most of the the risk is within our organization. And um, and we put a lot of our focus around them. That's what led me down a path of really realizing we needed to build a very disciplined system um, to how we went about growing our organizations, how we went about prioritizing, communicating, hiring and, and bringing the right people in the organization and avoiding allowing the wrong people in the organization, developing the right leadership and, and behaviors as we've grown and changed and, and molded. And that's been you know, a big part of, of the success we've been, we've been able to have to this point. Great. There's a lot of great information there, uh, Don. And, uh, you know, as you were speaking, I could just, uh, was thinking about, you know, our company, our, how we're growing our publishing company and our research business. And um, very interesting. Uh, of course, you know, we cover in our research all the major and minor uh, property sectors, um, you know, from the higher risk uh, names like malls and shopping centers and hotels um, down to the lower risk uh, property sectors, which you, you primarily are, are playing in, which is the necessity, you know, housing, uh, essential, uh, affordable housing. So can you talk a little bit, Don, about what led you to, to you know, become an investor uh, in, in this particular property sector? And what do you see as the uh, primary uh, advantages for investing in affordable housing today? Yeah, I'd say, you know, in the beginning, I'd love to say, and you know, that, hey, we had this, we, we scanned the entire sector of every real estate investment asset class. And we came to this research conclusion that, you know, workforce affordable housing was the absolute best place to invest. And um, which it is, um, in my opinion. Um, but the reality is, you know, I started my career in helping home buyers and home sellers uh, buy and sell real estate and then helping real estate investors, you know, invest in real estate. Um, and, and that meant, you know, small multifamily property, single family rentals, th things like that is, is kind of just how my business started being a residential 
uh, real estate agent. So I was fortunate that that's kind of how my business uh, started. And then, you know, as we started looking at how we wanted to grow it, we certainly explored all different sectors and all different strategies and have done every sector and every strategy uh, you could think of from industrial to office, to malls, to retail, to, um, you know, to you, you name it, um, hospitality, you know, we've done all asset classes, but um, have always had this uh, 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 kind of uh, affection towards, towards workforce housing and, and, uh, you know, growing up in, in workforce housing and, and growing up in, in a lower, um, you know, middle class, it just became so obvious as we expanded, you know, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, which is a small market where I grew up, had this tr- tremendous uh, lack of, and still does, of, of affordable, you know, workforce housing. And it was such a challenge, not just uh, for rent, but also for, and we're seeing it today, maybe the greatest ever, a uh, lack also for homeowners finding affordable, you know, homes to own or, or rent. And, as we expanded our business into Florida and into other states, we realized that this issue was far from uh, exclusive to, to the, any area that, that we were in. It was nearly nationwide. Uh, almost every county in America has an undersupply of housing that's affordable for those who live in that, who li- live and work in that, that, that area. So, and as you started, we started digging into the, the stats and in my career, you know, around by around 2014, I think if we all look back, we start saying many, many people started saying at the industry events by maybe 14 or 15, you started people saying, oh, you know, this this uh, growth market's going to turn, you know, the market's got to turn. Right. You know, we're going to see another 2008 again. And people have been saying that's 2015 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 20. You know, everybody's been saying, you know, COVID was something that nobody expected. But here we are saying, all right, you know. Home prices are at the highest they've ever been by far, growing faster than they've ever grown. Rents have gone up 70% in the last decade, 70% in the last decade. Um, and the reality is we're still sitting here face today with the lar- likely the largest undersupply of housing we've ever had. And that's what I think not enough people understand what's different about this cycle than the last cycle is we have the greatest undersupply of housing and it continues to be more and more constrained first uh, you know, where we were at in 2007, 2008, we had the greatest oversupply. Um, so this tremendous undersupply of housing is, is, is what makes this asset class so much, such a need and such a safe investment. Um, every industry at the end of the day comes down to the fundamental supply and demand. And we have a tremendous undersupply um, and a growing demand, especially in all the areas everybody hears and talks about, like the Sunbelt region, where uh, COVID's only accelerating this population uh, growth and, and job growth to a undersupplied uh, area. So what, what always just comes back to me, though, more than anything, is, is the 70% growth in, in, in rents. We went from $711 was the average rent in, in America in 2010 to now we're at about $1,200 is the average rent. The incomes for most wage earners have gone up 4 to 6%, and the cost of housing went up 70%. And what we see with building supplies and labor uh, costs, so forth, that and 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 just the challenges getting through development in most areas, that the cost of of new construction just continues to to climb, um, and rents continue to grow, and it just it just fundamentally such a such a strong place that that we feel it's a safe place to be. We feel it's a place that even in recessionary environments, we'll be able to generate great cash flow, have great demand, have limited pressure on rents. Um, but also what, what I think is as we've grown in our business, I've grown in my career, what's even more exciting is realizing the tremendous good we can do in this asset class. And we take a lot of pride in, you know, way we like to say it is we invest in workforce housing that is affordable and will remain affordable 
for the local workforce. And that's important that people aren't driving an hour to work, to live, to afford where, where they, you know, to, to, to live somewhere affordable, it takes away from your quality of life. And um, so people actually able to live where they work is, is really a, a major challenge and, and a major opportunity. So what we focus on is buying assets or developing assets where the rents are less than 30% of the local area median income. Um, generally, we're closer to 20%. Um, and kind of the, what's been proven is that when people are spending less than 30% of their income on their, their cost of housing, then they have enough money for the basic needs of healthcare, of education, of food, and can, can be, be comfortable. Uh, when people start spending more than 30%, they're sacrificing literally healthcare, food, their, their children's basic needs um, because they can't, can't afford and something has to sacrifice when too much of their income is going to rent. And we can do a lot of things not only to keep it affordable, but make it safe. Uh, add a lot of amenities and enrichment and do a lot of things to help. We like to say, help our residents choose prosperity and introduce them to different career paths, provide them with, you know, health education, provide them with uh, access to, to, to uh, faith and, 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 uh, you know, allowing churches on site, bringing more amenities and community uh, gatherings, doing a lot of different things that help them uh, move forward. We do unique things like helping our residents, uh, uh, if they take care of the, the property they live in, giving them back two times their security deposit back when they move out, which can be as crazy as it might sound, life-changing uh, to them, uh, be able to kind of be an invest in the home they're in um, by taking care of it and walking with more money than they put down when they moved in. So a lot of unique things like that. It's incredibly rewarding uh, seeing seeing the the impact we can have in these local communities. That's great, Don. I uh... It's kind of like uh, going to the Aldi store and getting that quarterback for your for your grocery cart, but uh, that's a lot more than a quarter. Um, <laughs> well, um, you know, so we cover the publicly traded multifamily REITs, and what I find is interesting is for the for the investor who's looking to get into affordable housing, not in the in the more I guess volatile public arena, which we play in. Uh, and we've done quite well during the pandemic, buying shares in companies like Essex and Avalon Bay and Equity Residential, to name a few. Um, but now shares have really become soundly valued. Uh, we're seeing that normalization uh, impact in the in the public uh, REIT sector. So how do, how can the individual uh, take advantage of investing in manufactured housing in the in the private sector, and specifically with your company with DLP? You know, do you, do you, are you able to invest in both the equity and the debt components? Because obviously you've got a large organization with different moving parts. So can you kind of simplify that as how can an investor invest in, in DLP privately? Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, so, yes, yeah, so what we, what we do is, is we invest in this asset class we've been talking about here, workforce housing, in, in a number of ways. That's from single family, you know, build the rent communities to multifamily you know, by the categories that people like to use, A, B, and C, we've done and do RV parks, we've done manufactured mobile home, but, um, but we're focused on our community settings where we can really, you know, build and, and invest in this local community. We can also get scale and efficiency from an operating standpoint. Um, and we uh, bring investors into to our uh, uh, investments in, in a few, few ways. We run private discretionary investment funds, um, Reg D style funds is the term often used. We have funds focused on lending money to other real estate operators similar to DLP. And that's the fastest growing sector of what we do is we actually operate as a lender lending money to other investors doing 
impact investing and everything we do at DLP is impact investing where we're making both a, a social good in, in terms of uh, um, you know, providing great, safe, affordable housing, investing in our residents while producing, you know, most would consider, um, you know, really, really excellent uh, returns, you know, double digit returns with liquidity and in monthly distributions. So we do that as a lender to other great operators. And uh, one of the great parts of, of doing it as a lender and is not only are we then providing capital to uh, to other great operators, developers, builders uh, who are providing, you know, safe, affordable housing. They're either, you know, pr preserving it, improving it, or, or building new. Um, but we're also able to then invest in that real estate operator. And we don't just operate as a lender and make loans. What we actually do a lot of is we actually come in and we teach um, these real estate operators how to scale a business. And we actually teach them the concepts of what I just uh, published uh, a book on called Building an Elite Organization, the blueprint to scaling a high growth, high profit business. And we actually come and help them implement what we call our elite execution system, which is the basis of the book, into their organization and, institute, and help them learn the lessons of, of growing leadership, putting the right people in place, building discipline, um, you know, structure, communication uh, into their organization to both help us as a lender reduce our risk lending them money because we know they're putting right people in place, putting right discipline, that, that there's less risk that their, their deal, uh, their investment's going to go uh, south. Um, but we're also uh, coming in there and helping them scale, which means then we get to invest more capital with great operators who are scaling, uh, which benefits them and us. But the, the core really exciting part about all that is um, our first area of impact we're really focused on is this workforce housing crisis that I spoke about. The second big area we're focused at DLP making an impact on is the jobs crisis. And the fact that 30 to 50% of American jobs are at jeopardy of automation in the next 10 to 20 years. And I believe uh, the technology and automation is a great stimulator of, of the economy and it will create lots of opportunities for new jobs, but there need to be small businesses who are, who are uh, coming forward with entrepreneurial opportunities and, and creating those jobs. Jobs are created through small business, not through, through the government. And, and so our ability to help these, these operators, help these small business owners scale and create jobs and grow, um, and then let alone being in the construction industry and doing renovations and building houses uh, is a phenomenal overall economic driver, as, as we all know. Um, so, uh, so we do that as a lender. We run funds focused on providing them short-term bridge loans, six to 12-month loans that allow us to pay our investors double-digit returns with monthly distributions. Um, then we also invest as an equity investor, both as a partner with great operators and builders and developers, meaning we bring them equity, we bring them knowledge, resources, but we're backing guys with, you know, deep guys and gals with deep, you know, market knowledge uh, and, and a strategy to be able to generate great returns and, and make an impact. And then we also do so as a as a as a uh, as a sponsor uh, directly as well, where we're doing all the management, all the construction, everything you know in house. So we're operating as a sponsor, as an equity partner, and as a lender, all across this asset class of of workforce housing, and run uh, different funds that allow investors to invest alongside of us in a fund structure that generates you know, these great returns with diversification, very tax efficient, um, and uh, without the volatility of the public markets, which uh, certainly obviously makes sense for at least a portion of, of anyone's portfolio. And what I can say um, I'm proud of here is, is through COVID and through uh, our you know, 10 years of doing this, we've never missed a return target in any of our funds. We've never had, let alone have losses, we've never missed a target in any period with monthly distribution. So we've had virtually um, no volatility um, through these you know, multiple uh, cycles. 
um, you know, through the way we invest in, in workforce housing. Great. Well, Don, this is a terrific uh, uh, interview here. And in, in, uh, in a lot of ways, um, I think there's uh, some really good, good takeaways here. Where, where can Don, where's the best place for people to find your company? And I guess more importantly, you know, direct me kind of to the, the portal for investing in the fund. I'm sure you've got uh, some prospectuses there, but what's the best place to find that? Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, so DLP uh, Capital Partners is our is our uh, investment uh, fund management company, um, and you can see right there are, are all of our investment vehicles. And we have a online portal you can register for. We'll register uh, for you on. It takes literally uh, about one minute, and you can access our audits, our fund documents, our past performance, the monthly reporting where we put out the actual. It's all 100% transparent. So we produce the balance sheets, the asset tapes, the income statements, full commentary reports. Um, on all of our funds, all external audits, uh, you name it. Um, so you can access that again at, at, at going to dlpcapitalpartners.com. Um, our parent company is DLP. Uh, uh, you can just go to dlpcapital.com um, and then see all the companies and all the different things we do and, and get there as well. And then for the book, anybody look serious or, or wanting to uh, scale a, a business, you can go to dlpelite.com, which is all the insight and perspective and the book and, uh, and, and everything we do and helping small businesses, certainly those in real estate, but we help businesses in all different industries uh, with, with scaling and, and creating jobs. Um, so, um, but you can always go to DLP real estate or dlpcapital.com and access and, uh, and get to, you know, all the different uh, uh, sides of DLP. Great. Well, Don, thank you again. I, uh, I had a uh, banker years ago, uh, who loaned me some money. His last name, believe it or not, was Crook. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, and I'll tell you what, you, uh, you got lucky here because your you're, you're, uh, Don Winner is a terrific <laughs> name. And uh, uh, congratulations. But I uh, really learned a lot here today, Don. And thank you very much for your time. And uh, hopefully people uh, listening will, will take advantage of this uh, information. So uh, uh, thank you very much again and, and have a great day. And we'll hopefully get you back soon. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it very much.